You are listening to March Mad Men, the podcast determined to find out what is the greatest horror movie of all time. Every season is a different tournament pitting films against each other two by two until we're down to a ferocious four. Season one crowned The Shining as the greatest haunted house film ever made, and in 2022, we'll do it all again. It is my pleasure to announce that the subject of season two of March Mad Men is the slasher film. With that in mind, we decided to do a special review pod for David Gordon Green's Halloween Kills. Part one will be a spoiler-free discussion, and then part two holds nothing back. We recorded these episodes the week the movie came out. It's a free-ranging and off-the-cuff conversation in which our strongest feelings tend to be negative. But I want to say up front that uh, I think the three of us landed on this being a pretty good installment in the franchise overall for its quality of production, kills, soundtrack, and more. So if you like the movie, just know we like a lot of the same things, but wish it reached its potential. And if you hated it, well, you'll probably enjoy this listen a lot more than the film's biggest fans. And with that, here we go. You are listening to a very special Halloween edition of the March Mad Men podcast. Not only is it October that we're recording this one in, we are here to discuss David Gordon Green's Halloween Kills. I am John Evans, and as always, I'm joined by two men who consider Halloween not only the world's greatest holiday, but one hell of a film franchise. Of course, I am talking about Vikram Wheat and Rich Eckersley. Guys, it's been a number of months uh, since we've recorded a new episode. We did bank uh, a bunch of them to close out season one of March Mad Men. I think we're all pretty excited about what's in store for our listeners in season two. And I'd say uh, tonight's show should be the perfect appetizer. Before we get into all of that, of course, uh, let's catch up a little bit, shall we? Vic, buddy, what's new in your world? John, I, uh, I recently started the job from hell. <laughs> and uh, everything uh, that can go wrong has. I am physically and mentally exhausted. And uh, I think that's put me in the perfect frame of mind to record a podcast. I have uh, nothing left to lose. And uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it all on the table tonight. Damn. Outstanding. Yeah. One night of horror uh, is nothing compared to day after day of horror at your place of work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rich, what's, uh, what's new over there, man? Good to see you again. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, what's new over here? Well, the population in our household has, in, has increased. Uh, we're up to three children in the Eckersley household. <laughs> and uh, so I'd say that, you know, I haven't been watching a lot of horror movies, but I definitely have had my adrenaline up a lot. And definitely my, my you know, my, my life force has been like sort of slowly drained out of me. <laughs> Uh, by these adorable parasitic little creatures. So I still feel primed for the season. I feel ready for Halloween. Outstanding. Outstanding. Another form of horror. Wow. What do you know? <laughs> uh, for me, sadly, uh, no cat feeders will be going off during our podcast anymore. That ritual has sadly come to an end, as have the lives of my elderly cats. But the bunny is still around. Uh, we did move his condo, as we call it, where he lives, into the other room. So the comedic gold of his interruptions is also over. But sans cats, I've bonded with the bunny a lot. And I actually kind of regret my cavalier attitu attitude towards him in some of our previous shows. So I have love to give, and it's some of it's kind of finding its way to the bunny now. A any port in a storm, as they say, right? I want to know how this respect is going to manifest itself <laughs> during the podcast. So I'm excited to see how that develops. Well, were he um, rattling that goddamn water bottle, uh, I would be nicer to him. But fortunately, uh, he's well down the hallway now. So uh, we really won't have any interruptions on my end, uh, you know. Knock on wood. So I, I guess that catches us up uh, to a degree. Uh, a lot of water under the bridge. It has been a lot of months uh, since we recorded. Um, but it is nice to be able to say, you know, exactly when we're recording. We try to exist in this non-temporal zone on this show because oftentimes uh, the listeners get the episode months after we actually recorded it. 
but I want to say my entire environment is all decked out for Halloween here, which I love. I've got all these lights and props and weird candles and pumpkins and tchotchkes and gargoyles and stuff. It's, uh, it's great. And I'm drinking out of my skull mug tonight. I want to know what you guys are, are doing on the beverage front, but uh, this is a, uh, an extremely delicious Costco spiced rum and Coke. <laughs> Not very high end. <laughs> Vic, what do you got over there, man? I'm getting ready to crack open one of uh, Victory Brewing's Merry Monkeys. Ooh. There we go. Oh, well done. Uh, Christmas beer? Is, what's that? Is that a Christmas beer? Oh, there goes yeah, our timeline. <laughs> Jesus, Vic, you couldn't stay, like, temporally correct for one episode? You finally get a chance to drink one of these, which is my other... This is just when it came out, all right? It's not my fault. We have cameras on uh, for this one, and I'm showing I have a backup drink. The uh, Elysian, i got to put some light on this bad boy. The, the coffee pumpkin ale, it's the Punkachino. So I'm going to get a little caffeine with my beer. How about you, Rich? I have a Josh Cabernet uh, that I'm starting with this evening. Nice. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it classy like the like Big John and Little John. <laughs> and um, I'll move on to something. I'll move on to something more robust later. At least it's not a white wine. Can I confess something that I think may be uh, controversial? Given the context of this podcast, I have almost no taste for pumpkin beer. Hmm, interesting. In fact, my wife went to the grocery store today, and I normally do the cooking. And so she went and she got uh, almost nothing for dinner except for a pumpkin chili. And I'm still a little pissed off that that's what I had to have for dinner because there was nothing else. So, How do you uh, feel about yeah, pumpkin pie? Halloween time, I don't need pumpkin chili. I don't need pumpkin beer. And if I'm drinking a Christmas beer... Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was funny listening to some of our old shows, how many I was drinking Sierra Nevada Celebration, which is a Christmas, uh, well, holiday season, yeah. seasonal. And I'm like, oh, we dropped that episode in June. Oh, okay. <laughs> like for, for the discerning detectives down there taking notes. Yeah. But, but, but Vic, I, I'm with you. I, I actually am not, so not a huge fan of most pumpkin products. I love them as de- as decor. I love the spirit they bring, but I'm not really a fan of the of consuming them really in much of any form. There are a handful of good pumpkin beers out there, although my favorite Halloween autumn beer is still the brewery's Autumn Maple, which I think is now actually discontinued. Um, but that's made with yams, but in the, in the spirit of a pumpkin beer. Wow. Ooh, I, I had Avery Brewing has an Oktoberfest Imperial Lager that I think is called the Kaiser. It's a special. Uh, yeah. I didn't know there was such a thing as an Imperial Lager. Those things don't seem to go uh, together very well. But I thought it was delicious. I've been meaning to text you guys and tell you. Check that one out if you're looking, if you're looking to mix it up. If you're looking to get something besides pumpkin in your life uh, <laughs> and still keep with the October theme, check that one out. Yeah, so, Avery's not cheap. They knock it out of the park. Huh. So not even pumpkin pie, huh, Vic? Pumpkin pie is the exception. Ah, okay, good. I'm a big fan of pumpkin pie. I'll do a pumpkin pie. All right. Well, I'm glad that uh, there's some shred of sanity left in your in your skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a monster, John. We'll leave that question unanswered for now. But, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's talk about this movie, folks. Yes, indeed. It's finally here. Uh... 2018 feels like uh, such a long time ago in many, many ways. Vic and I did a one-off pod about the 2018 Halloween. If anyone wants to double back and listen to that, I want to let you all know that, you know, with the movie having come out, you know, obviously, depending on when you're listening to this, not too long ago, we will be doing a um, non-spoiler section of the show and we'll give you plenty of warning once we uh, start giving stuff away so not to worry there if you haven't quite seen this movie yet michael michael fights jason Voorhees at the end (laughs) he comes out of a dark hallway holding freddy's head at the end and roll credits yes it's been a while i did not i wanted to ask you guys have you had a chance to revisit the 2018 one anytime uh in the last few months or at all since you originally saw it rich i i have not i wanted to but then i thought you were gonna do that and why should i do the work (laughs) 
usually a good policy. Usually you're in, you're on solid ground with that strategy. Vic, did you uh, did you watch it? I did not because I didn't want to. <laughs> I I did not care for the 2018 film, and uh, uh, I have been I have been prepping for season two, and so uh, my movie watching hours are devoted to to if not better, at least different movies. <laughs> right, right. That's but that's a fair I'm distinction. Actually, as we're getting ready to dive into this, like, do you guys? I feel this weird, like, trying to shake off the format of the March Mad Men tournament. And like, just talk about one movie. Like, this is this feels like the reuniting of the every night is Halloween. I'm trying to get back into that vibe of like, yeah, you know, we're just we're just going to sink deep into uh, into this one movie that we all just watched. And a Michael Myers movie to boot. I for one am actually very excited to return to this. There are, you know, we had we had sort of an, an extended break from our last recording session, and I for one have really missed it and. Many times I almost hit you guys up, just sort of suggesting that we get together to to talk about horror movies, whether we whether we recorded it or not. But then, uh, you know, but then someone needed to be fed, so it didn't happen. <laughs> but seriously, though, I've I've missed doing this, so I'm glad we're back here in our respective rooms across Los Angeles doing this. It feels good to saddle up and ride out again with you guys. I'm excited. So yeah, I did listen to our show that Vic and I did, at least the first hour or so, and that actually refreshed my memory a little bit about um, my own thoughts and Vic's thoughts, and just about that movie uh, in general, so maybe that will help along the way, but uh, that's about it. And my next question is, how many times have you seen the new one? I did manage to see it twice. I watched it on Sunday night. Tonight is Wednesday. Uh, So I've watched it two nights in a row preceding our podcast, which I feel good pretty good about but again i i have no one to feed except a bunny over here i managed to watch it twice oh nice i, I kind of blew off a little bit of work this afternoon i saw it on sunday and then i saw it again today i watched it one and a half times uh but i was pretty high the first time <laughs> and so uh when i when i went to watch it when i went to to finish it i thought you know i'd better start over from the beginning uh just to make sure that i have all the details clear weirdly that didn't help <laughs> I'm still having a hard time keeping the different threads and storylines of this film together. Yeah, I, I thought about doing an edible for the uh, the last viewing, last night's viewing, and then I kind of realized at this point in our process, it's probably better for me to, to remain as cogent as possible to, to keep track of all the various plot lines and details and, and notes rather than get lost in the rabbit hole, which uh, I like doing somewhere along the line when we look at a movie multiple times, but uh, not this time. So well, especially, uh, with, especially with David Gordon Green's sort of like muddy, circular uh, storytelling style. Absolutely. It all just kind of blends together. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of circling, uh, we've circled this long enough. Let's uh, let's get into the the bloody meat of it. Starting off with any thoughts, uh, tidbits about uh, observations about the movie's backstory, its production reception so far by audiences and critics, uh, its position in the franchise's history, this kind of multiverse that's gradually in, in complicated fashion coming together as we, you know, however many movies in we are now uh, to the world of Halloween. I'll, I'll open it up to you guys first kind of randomly and then, you know, I'll, uh, I'll throw out my, my thoughts as we, as we go. Vic, did you have anything for this part of our examination? I mean, the obvious thing to talk about, I think, is the there's just been something culturally fortuitous about this incarnation of Michael Myers. I was able to listen to Jamie Lee Curtis's interview with Eli Roth. Sorry. Uh, on the, the, the podcast version of the history of horror uh, podcast, he does like an uncut where he plays just the whole interviews and stuff. She's a marvelous interview, by the way, just to, just really such a sharp, intelligent, uh, wonderfully interesting person and such great stories. And like, we'll just admit that she did shit like terror train for the money. And she was just really excited to get 50 grand and stuff. So it's, it's really worth listening to for that. But she talked about the fact that really just by happenstance, the 2018 version really came out on the heels of the me too movement. And this, this whole cultural conversation we were having about dealing with uh 
trauma and, and, and women and the relationship between those things. And, um, and that movie really spoke to that. And I think that was a big reason for the financial and uh, commercial success of it. And so then this one manages to come out with this sort of theme of mob violence and, and what happens when people, when vigilantism, uh, when people get fired up and, and do things that they shouldn't do. Uh, and of course this is on the heels of the January 6th riot. And a time and not to mention lots of other sort of mob incidents and stuff that we're all sort of talking about and what was OK and what wasn't. It's very complicated and it's just weird that they happen to have anticipated both of those things. As with the first one, I'm not sure that the films really have much meaningful to say about these deeper topics. But it is I mean, you, you, you just have to stare in awe. And how somehow Danny McBride and David Gordon Green sort of anticipated on some level these weird cultural things that would be happening around us. And I wonder, in fact, watching it, uh, to what degree, because of uh, COVID, they had so much more time to play with the editing. And I find myself wondering what changes they made and if they were able to steer the movie into that anymore. Uh, given that extra time to play with it. I don't know. We'll see. I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. It's an interesting point about the editing and their ability to manipulate afterwards. I mean, certainly, like, the script itself is full of, like, all these musings about, like, the violence and and grief and, like, how it's, like, channeled through, like, crowds and and emotion and and trauma. So it was certainly baked into the script beforehand. I guess, like, you're right in a sense, like, it is fortuitous. They're definitely, like, it seems like a lot of haze being made of, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's comparisons to black lives matter although from what i read it doesn't sound like she was like really like directly relating the the film to it as much as just sort of like noting exactly what you're noting that like it's about these things that are sort of in the air right now how would you say that like the first like david gordon green like halloween is any more sort of like female centric and powered than you know the 70s like incarnation of, of that in the first halloween movie you know, and like, is this version of mob violence in any way more insightful than the mob violence that you see in like Halloween four or five? And they certainly talk about it and like kind of like wax philosophical about it a lot more in this movie. But I just don't know yeah. that anything else is said about it. We're kind of jumping ahead. And this is one of the big conversations I think that we should have. So let's have it. It is interesting. It didn't occur to me that they couldn't be pandering with this subject, the Capitol riots, because they shot this in 2019. Right. So, I mean, they shot it pre-COVID, let alone capital riots. So, yeah, they can do some finessing with the editing and they probably did and whatever else. But uh, I guess they were tapping into because the mob rules stuff has been a part of the early films in the Halloween series uh, from the beginning. I mean, we, we, we were dealing with. Ben Tramer getting killed and people being shot that were wearing uh, Michael Myers masks and, you know, the rednecks and all of that stuff very early in, in, in the films. So I, I guess they were actually just trying to, to tap into that. You know, maybe, obviously, Donald Trump was the president. Uh, so, you know, he was in 2018, 2019, when they were writing and, and shooting this. So maybe there was some degree of prescience, but... They definitely have, as Vic pointed out, and I haven't read a lot of articles about this. Like, I think the movie, both of them, kind of smack you over the head with first Me Too and critique of of mob thinking and uh, all that, the madness that comes with that. And, And they're trying to apparently tap into the zeitgeist with these themes and talk about the associated mentality involved um, with the Capitol riots and, and things of that nature. But it undercuts, this movie undercuts the Me Too message in a really fundamental way that we end the first movie with this triumphal victory of these women over their tormentor. And this movie, from the jump, inevitably and predictably, removes that victory entirely and says, oh no, you, you didn't banish your demons, you didn't exercise shit, he's not only back, but he's, he's going to you know kill a bunch more people. And again, let's be wary of uh, spoilers as we get into this, but I think Wait, that... Wait, he kills people? <laughs> yeah. I, I almost said something more specific, Vic, so I, <laughs> I'm, I'm warning myself, actually. <laughs> 
But, um, and we'll, you know, we'll, we have time to get into the particulars of this, but I think one of the things that this movie does is actually kneecap the first movie. And if you were to look at, we haven't seen the third one yet, but I, so far I know if you look at this compared to the last one, it diminishes a lot of the emotional impacts and messages that the first movie was apparently trying to accomplish. That's certainly true to an extent. What you always wind up dealing with, especially when you're making a sequel like this, is that this sequel was really ordered by the accountants at the studio. And so how do you make a movie that, that doesn't wear that on its sleeve? Yeah, you have to bring Michael back. Her victory does get erased. Like there's, just, there's no other way to start this movie. You are starting from that deficit just by virtue of making a sequel at all. But how can but you have I, any I, catharsis of looking at him with the flames and some, whatever she says, goodbye, Michael, or whatever? Like, how could you ever watch that movie again and feel any kind of satisfaction knowing, oh, 10 minutes later, he comes out and kills a bunch? Uh, I don't want to I mean, give you, anything away. You could, say that, you could say that about every, every single, like, every slasher film ever made. Yeah, but I mean, like, the cathartic value of that movie and what it did to audiences had a three-year shelf life, and now it's forever gone. And whatever you think you thought of the first Halloween, you'll never have back. So that, that's all I'm saying. But yeah, I want to point out, um, this ties us back to the production of the movie and everything. They very much knew going in that there would be some interest in a second movie. The filmmakers, I'm talking about Danny McBride and David Gordon Green. And they actually declined to write or begin the second movie until the first one was successful and part of it was like, let's not waste our time. If everyone hates the first movie and we've, you know, we've already made the second movie because they were planning on potentially uh, shooting them back to back. Well, nobody's going to want to see the second one if they didn't like the first one. And also they wanted to give themselves the opportunity to adapt and um, see what worked and what didn't. And, you know, maybe react to the response to the first movie, even though apparently they started writing or at least developing this one immediately after October 2018, when the reception was so uh, rapturous is a bit of a overstatement, but uh, let's just say, yeah, yeah. The the first movie was a huge financial and at least audience success and, and did pretty well with critics as well. The other thing that I would bring up about this movie, and I follow a lot of the online boards and stuff, so I know the, the critics, the critic reviews are, are pretty middling. The fan reactions have been really divisive. Mm-hmm. And I read an article by Andrea Subasati from the Faculty of Horror where she pointed out that one of the, the really interesting things about – damn it, I swore I was going to stop saying interesting so much after listening to myself talk all this time. Leave this in, by the way. Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the – I need a list of, of fucking synonyms. One of the fascinating things about the Halloween franchise is that unlike a lot of slasher franchises, it has this ability to appeal both to the people who want nudity and teenagers and gore and, you know – the smattering of humor uh, and don't really care about the deeper themes and the filmmaking and everything else. But if you really care about suspense and tension and filmmaking and thematic content, like there is certainly in the first film and in other places that's there. And so it's like there, I think Halloween, part of the reason that it persists, part of the reason we're talking about this and not the new Friday the 13th or the new nightmare on Elm street is that, it has this appeal across a huge swath of horror fans. But if you're going to make a movie like, you know, that has that fan base, it's really tough to appeal to everyone at once. And I think David Gordon Green has taken a, a real swing at trying to appeal to both. But judging from the, the reactions that I've seen from really diehard horror fans, somebody's pissed off about it. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are, who are really upset. This is like, yeah, it's like anything that has the lineage of a film like this and has developed like a, a cult following and, and still manages to get big budget, like uh, sequels, reboots, whatever you want to call them, made, like is, is bound to be divisive. It's like, you know, it's like the people argue over Star Wars, right? Like, can a Star Wars movie come out at this point and be, you know, I would... There's sure there's there's an argument that this is like this is the Star Wars of horror, right? Same same mm-hmm. time, same approximate time period. So people in their same like relative age group, 
with like kids that they've passed it on to. Um, you know, they're emotionally invested in it for whatever reason. The star is back. Yeah, so, we touched on that in 2018, like that Harrison Ford is playing Han Solo again, and Jamie Lee Curtis is playing uh, Laurie Strode. I, I totally see the Star Wars comparison, and I never thought of it, but you're right. Generationally, the same people that saw Star Wars in 77 may have seen, I mean, I was too young to watch, uh, I could I could watch Star Wars in 77, but I was too young to watch Halloween in 78, but yeah, generationally... The fact that those Star Wars movies resurged around 2018 and Halloween resurged around 2018, uh, there's a real kind of duality there. As kids grow up to be parents and introduce their kids to these movies, and they have a relevance that uh, a lot of sci-fi and horror franchises don't. It's an interesting observation. The same insufferable douchebags just sullying the internet with their opinions on Star Wars and Halloween. <laughs> Those damn incels. <laughs> Jesus, John. There you go. All right, guys, we're getting, we're getting back into form. I can feel it. By the way, uh, David Gordon. It too dark. David Gordon Green, uh, born 1975. I was born in 75, so uh, we're we're exactly the same age. I see a strong correlation another strong correlation with star wars in that we are using the same structure as the first three films in that i think that halloween 2018 is star wars we get a big victory at the end the the death star is blown up michael is trapped in a burning basement and it looks like maybe we're done with him and laurie strode is triumphant and then we have the empire strikes back and that this movie halloween kills is the Empire Strikes Back of the trilogy, where suddenly we realize, oh, it's going to be a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. And Darth Vader is still out there. And he's he's a bad mamma jamma. My fingers are crossed that the reviews for Halloween Ends are going to be a bunch of complaints about how the movie was ruined by Muppets. Oh, man, I hope we get a speeder bike in there somewhere. I'll promise you one thing we won't get. It's Slave Leia. So many things are coming together in my mind here, but why don't we take a step back real quick and look at where in the timeline this movie is. And I do want to point out that this amuses me. It's hard to put your finger on exactly what this movie is because Vic and I talked about in 2018 that Halloween was sort of a a sequel to the first Halloween it was an alternate Halloween too which would make Halloween Kills an alternate Halloween 3 so this movie it can be argued is the first Halloween 3 to have Michael Myers in it I feel like Charlie Day in front of the bulletin board with all the strings tying everything together as you try to explain all these different things. It's I agree. It's also like it's just the, the Halloween timeline is so needlessly complicated. Yes. Because you could argue, in fact, John, in fact, you could argue that Halloween H2O was the first Halloween 3 you are correct. You could argue that. And as much as I am loath to talk about Halloween H2O in any context, <laughs> I think that you're absolutely right about that. And it's a good point. <laughs> but again, it just speaks to how crazy this timeline is. Yeah. And, and that, that movie also had Jamie Lee Curtis in it. And yeah, the mind starts to warp and, and twist in on itself. Though I think that was her next appearance. It's not like she diverged into another timeline and then came back. They just kind of skipped a couple movies. Whatever. Let's not get into that. It's, it will give you a headache. Um, and there are some things I want to get into along the way, like um, all the characters they bring back from the first Halloween into this movie that further represents connective tissue that makes this... Uh, in the David Gordon Green timeline, this is definitely a Halloween 3 following up from the original Halloween. Okay, are you confused yet? Great. If so, we're ready to move on. Initial thoughts, big picture, guys. Like, we're, we're, we're getting into, did this movie work for you? How does it carry on from Halloween, Halloween 2018 in your minds? What are your number one takeaways on a macro level 
about Halloween Kills. Earlier, you mentioned how this this sort of like stole away from like the the female empowerment of the 2018 Halloween. But actually, in a way, I think it's a perfect follow up in that um, these women like finally, like, as you said, like sort of like conquer their their abuser and have a victory only to have it taken away from them. And then to have an angry white guy with a baseball bat say, you stand back, I'm going to take care of this. So really, it actually like it kind of flows with the the overall like theme that they were going for. <laughs> I mean, like how it carries over from Halloween 2018 to me, it's it's pretty consistent in terms of my own personal reception of it. Like I said, I watched this film twice, and I thought that the the second time I watched it, I thought I needed because like I had had too much to drink the first time I saw it. But then upon second viewing, I realized I actually remembered everything. It's just a movie that's not that memorable. Um, Or most most parts of it, I would say, are are not that memorable. And it feels very meandering. And, like, it's the same sense that I had from the the 2018 film, which I also, like Vic, did not particularly want to return to. I didn't dislike it. I didn't have any, like, strong feelings against it. It just left me feeling not much. Uh, the kills are gory. It's very effective on just like a, a visceral. It seems like there's a lot of great use of like what seem like practical effects. If you're in it for the the gore and the kills, and you know I'm I'm here for it when they happen. That's great. But like overall, like I kind of didn't like feel a whole lot from it. Um, but that said, a, a few diff- things definitely like stood out to me. What were they trying to do? I I don't know. Like that kind of goes back to our, our mob, but like, they're so focused on the mob violence in this movie. They seemed like they really wanted to be saying something, but the messages and I, and I really kind of like analyzed it the second time I actually watched it with like captions and was really trying to like think about the dialogues as it, as it came across. And like, I'm just not sure what they were even trying to say, except that trauma and grief becomes more trauma and grief. Like that they, that like manifests itself into into anger that then like only creates more like pain. I guess I can accept that as a takeaway, but like they spent a lot of platitudes trying to get us there. So much talk to get us there. So blunt, heavy handed proclamations about, well, what is Michael Myers and what makes him so powerful? And to your point about theme, isn't it the fear that is the worst thing he does? And then I'm I'm kind of com- I'm stitching together different lines of dialogue now, but kind of the fear makes us monsters. And then once we're the monsters, we create more pain and grief. Like that's kind of what they're what they're doing. Gee, that's in- that's real insightful. You're crystallizing the failure to dramatize these thematic intentions. Instead of making them powerful, like a message that really resonates, it just it feels so broad and clumsy and heavy-handed. And when I listened to our podcast uh, of the last one, which unfortunately, Rich, you weren't, uh, you were about to join the show. It was right before you came on. Right. It's, it's too bad that uh, we didn't have you for that one. But uh, the whole point uh, uh, that I kept coming back to in my comments was just how kind of clumsy and thuddingly obvious and without grace and subtlety the script was. And I feel the exact same thing here. What, even though we have a one different writer in there. Uh, a guy, uh, Scott Teams, I believe is his name, and he's apparently a hot commodity right now doing you know, an exorcist project and uh, some other genre work that's in the pipeline. Um, but this, this felt like exactly it came from the exact same dialogue factory as the last movie, uh, except even more of it. So th- in that way, I think this movie is worse than the f- 2018. There's a lot of things that I actually want to talk about that I like about this movie. You know, just if yeah. you're if somebody's listening and loving Halloween kills and they're just, you know, fuming like, do these guys have anything nice to say? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of nice things to say. And maybe I should have said that twenty minutes ago, but But just like Halloween kills, we're we're gonna make you sit through a bunch of shit to get to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the experience <laughs> of Halloween kills, folks. <laughs> My Initial reaction would be, I don't know. 
Like, I don't know how I feel about this movie. I feel like I'm still trying to get my head around it. I think there's a lot that doesn't work. I mean, everything that you're saying about the dialogue and the approach to the themes and that sort of stuff holds true just like it did in the first one. My gut reaction is that I liked it better than the first one. Me too, but I think that that Well, but I think that that really stems from just as a writer that it's structurally so bananas and that it has a wider – it has a bigger scope than not just any Halloween film but maybe any slasher film I've ever seen. This is following multiple threads and bringing in multiple characters and yes, like they're still sort of cannon fodder. But it just feels, even in in the in the clunkingly obvious service of its theme, it is still in service of a theme that they're trying to paint on this much bigger canvas than you almost ever see from a movie like this. So, there's a part of me, like I think my I think my reaction is, I agree that it doesn't work, but I'd rather see David Gordon Green and Danny McBride try something funky and weird and different and expansive like this. Uh, and, and yes, like obviously I, I could have given them notes early on in the process that would have helped, but I'd still rather see this than just see a rehash. It's a little bit like the zombie version, right? Like I would rather see whatever my critiques of Rob Zombie and his white horse, I would rather see that than see someone just do the Marcus Nispel version of Friday the 13th. Like, do something different. Make it your own. Make it show me something I haven't seen before. And I at least got that sense from it, even if it doesn't, even if the broader heights that they were reaching for, they didn't they didn't really hit. I wish we could go back in time and I, I could make my first statement this, like after having listened to, listened to you and, and processing it a bit, um, I, I would have loved to have said slasher movies for the most part. We've watched a lot of them. A lot of them suck, guys. A lot of them really, really, really suck. And just as a movie, this is not a bad movie. I'm not saying it's a great movie with all the talent and money put into it. Could we expect it could be a little better in some ways? Yes. Yes, we could. But when you look at it as a slasher film and as even an entry in the Halloween series, I mean, I'm not handing out Oscars, but but it's <laughs> it's a real movie. It's well done. It's thoughtfully made. It's made with vision. And I, I honestly think one of an interesting exercise would be to compare Halloween 2018 with the Rob Zombie remake and this Halloween Kills with Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 and just see like how they're relatively contemporary. They both have sort of auteuri filmmakers to a degree. They have talent associated with them. They have some money associated with them. And, and say, like, are these four, in some ways, the most relevant and accomplished and, you know, modern of all of the Halloween films? I, I think there's an argument to be made that they are, you know, because Halloween 1 was, you know, made by a bunch of random folks for a few dollars with very little script. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm under the spell of the first Halloween movie. But if younger people or whoever come along and say, you know, point out 27 things that are really kind of boring and flat or not that well done about the first Halloween, I'm not going to say you're a lunatic, right? So long way of saying, I grade on a curve when it comes to slasher movies. And yeah, I can't say a ton of bad things about this because (laughs) there are like movies like The Prowler or Terror Train or the Jamie Lee Curtis Prom Night or whatever that just, you know, 40 minutes of that movie is just watching extras kind of mill around without even having real lines to say. And, you know, maybe there's a guy, a POV shot lurking around in the background. It's not good. Bravo for this film having ambition and scope. And yes, we will get into it, but I fucking love the timeline shift in this movie. And I absolutely love the part of it where we're back in 1978 and we pick up right after 
the 78 Halloween film ended and we're giving an alternate version of the original Halloween two for a little part of this movie. You know, the other thing, brother, the other problem with this is it's not scary. No. That's really like, that's the one thing that I feel like you, you can't screw around with that. Uh, and that's honestly, that's kind of the danger in widening the scope of a film like this. It's gory and it's violent. There's not even any particularly effective like jump scares or anything. They don't even uh, try. Which, again, it's, it's, yeah. it's intense. Like yeah. intense is what it's aiming for. Yes. Yep. But yeah, it's nothing. It's it's not in any. It's it's not in any way unsettling in the way that the that the seventy eight Carpenter film is. So what's interesting is like I I didn't go back and watch the twenty eighteen Halloween as I mentioned, but what I did do is I actually watched uh, the original on on Saturday the night before I watched this one, hmm. and it's crazy, especially when you consider this sort of alternate timeline that they're doing, where it's like you know like this is. David Gordon Green's movies are, are part two and three, just how different they are stylistically. Like they're just not even in the same like cinematic language of the first movie, other than like aping the, the, the theme music and the, and the font, you know, <laughs> like that, that's as far as it goes. Like beyond that, like the first movie almost reads as more like Hitchcockian compared to like the, the, the Quentin Tarantino, uh, approach to to David Gordon Green's movies. That's not even like an apt comparison, actually. Maybe early Tarantino, but you know that's sort of like yeah, hype like sort of like hyper like violent, realistic, intense, efficient horror. As you're saying, like that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just like it puts them in different different realms and like it, I don't know if this is this is necessarily the, the the moment to talk about this, but I am just constantly fascinated by even in the, the first David Gordon Green one that the spirit of these movies, especially this one with the crowd violence and the way they react, the spirit of it is the spirit of the entire 40 year franchise. And I mean that in the sense of like it's like three people died that first Halloween night. Right. But the, the way that everyone acts in these new movies, they're acting with the trauma and rage of people who have been terrorized by this thing for 40 years, right? There's a certain like amount of like emotional math that, that, that doesn't seem to, to necessarily add up. Oh, you're preaching to the choir it's the, there. And, and, and somehow I'm bagging on the film again. I don't know. I don't mean to because I'm like, I'm, I'm with you. Like I watched it twice. I don't have anything necessarily bad to say about it. It's just like a viewing experience. I've seen far worse uh, even in in modern films um, and in modern horror, so it has such a it has so much like lineage to live up to. I think that's why it gets graded on such a curve. Well, I really like the way you approached it. It seems like uh like maybe even David Gordon Green his preferred approach theoretically would be you watch Halloween the seventy eight one, then you watch Halloween twenty eighteen, and then you watch this one because they should somehow fit together. But you're right. I mean it's. John Carpenter's approach and Deborah Hill's approach and everything that they do with the script and the look of the film and the vibe and the atmosphere. And as Vic said, the approach to how they scare you, it's couldn't be more different. And yeah, I think that getting back to Vic's point, this movie doesn't even really attempt to use atmosphere that builds and sort of, have a dread it more or less just keeps teeing up victims where you're like oh well these people are toast and then they give you kind of a little laugh with how woefully unprepared unprepared these people are for what's coming at them and you're like haha well at least these victims will be diverse (laughs) And and then they get killed um, in, I think, re- pretty effective ways in terms of how you stage the physical effects and the, you know, the gore and the blood and the impact of the actual kills. That works. That's one of my favorite things about this movie. But then you cut to long monologues from people really unrealistically processing grief. I, I don't want to go on a tangent. I want to throw it over to Vic. But one of the things about this movie is that uh, Allison, the granddaughter, has just lost her father two and a half to four hours ago. I'm not completely sure of the timeline, but her dad just got murdered. And the way that she sort of talks about it, acts, 
deals with it feels like it was three years ago, not three hours ago. I don't know how big of a deal that is, but, and I hate to just keep making comparisons like this, but the way that uh, Taylor Scott Compton, Tyler Scott, anyway, the lead in the Rob Zombie Halloween one and two, the way she processes grief and trauma just grabbed me. And um, and felt appropriate to her circumstances. The way that Brad Dorif reacts when he comes home and his daughter is lying there murdered in the bathroom is absolutely devastating and powerful and well done. I think we all agreed on that. I just didn't find any of that in the way any of these characters were processing anything that happened in the last movie. Okay, tangent over. Vic, over to you. John, you kind of stole my thunder there, but uh, it just brings me back to one of the criticisms that we had of the 2018 film when we did that podcast, which was that Lori's seemed so much more traumatized yes. in the 2018 film, and it seemed sort of disproportionate and and not realistic. I mean, it's a little it's, it feels a little insensitive to say, but I, I just I found Jamie Lee Curtis's performance in H2O. When Michael Myers was her brother and when she'd had not just the first film's drama, but the second film's drama. And then 20 years later, this was the, you know, the sort of alcoholic single mother, uh, you know, having difficulty forming relationships. And it was like when you then just had just her, just the, the three murders from the first night and 40 years and she was like coming apart at the seams it it didn't the the again the H two O interpretation worked better for me than the twenty eighteen one, and I agree when you talk about the town right like it's because we we have some of that in Halloween two uh, and again you know in Halloween four and five and stuff it makes sense to me that there are guys in pickup trucks with with guns riding around town shooting anybody in a Michael Myers mask in those movies in this one it seems a little weird that forty years you know I mean it'd be like us riding around because of the the black dahlia murders uh, like <laughs> yeah. it's that's a great point it just, and I, it just seems disproportionate yeah, that's a good idea we should do that I, <laughs> i'm about to hold on to your hat here <laughs> yeah guys come on i'm so mad about the the black dahlia murderer was never found let's get him evil dies tonight uh, Vic, you, um, I don't think I stole your thunder because you just touched on something huge from our last podcast that I, I wish I'd mentioned, which is that was my number one problem with that movie that at least, you know, that we talked about on the podcast right up front was that the way they retconned it, like an hour and a half of trauma in this teenage girl's life, you know, not to say, and I, I spent, you know, five minutes moderating my position here. So you understand, I'm not saying it was nothing, but like it just felt sad that this girl would would become an alcoholic like unable to have a job a career romance parent anything like just absolutely useless other than waiting for this guy to come back out of jail for 40 years because of you know the fact that she scuffled with this guy and 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 two of her friends were murdered it just felt so out of proportion and sad, not, not impossible, but sad that I would go so far as to say that I agree with you. H2O, I have nothing good to say about it in general, but the way it handled her processing of trauma. And I hadn't seen that by the way, when we last talked about uh, Halloween 2018, I hadn't seen it in years, even not liking H2O as much as I didn't when we covered it for the podcast, I will say that portrayal of Jamie Lee Curtis processing or her character, Laurie Strode processing this event was so much better than Halloween 2018. So I'm on the record there. Don't like H2O, but I like the way that it handled her processing trauma. Okay. You, you guys, you guys heard it. John likes H2O. <laughs> yeah. Let's give like a final capsule review, like anything else non-spoiler that each of us want to say about this movie in broad strokes. Let's get it out there before we get into the spoiler discussion. Topics that you might want to hit if you uh, would be so kind. 
this incarnation of Michael, we talk about that every time we cover a Halloween movie, you know, how he looked, how he acted, the persona, the performance, that's, that's vital to any analysis of a Halloween movie, the quality of the kills, anything else you have to say about writing, acting, music, let's throw it out there. And if you want to be so bold, where does it rank for you among the Halloween sequels and reboots? Rich, do you want to kick it off? I will say I do like this incarnation of Michael, even though he's not scary, as Vic very aptly pointed out. He does have a a very like taciturn like efficiency to him. Like I, I like the way that he enters and exits rooms. Like he's sort of every now and then he toys with his victims a bit, but there's a lot of scenes where he just like quickly like stabs them and then like he's like off to the next he's got apps. Like this guy like plans his day. He's all about like time efficiency. Like he seems like he's got like he's got a a plan and a bigger purpose, and like killing people is like part of that, but it's not like all he's about. So like I like that. I like the way that you can sort of see his his eyes through the mask. I think that's something that is a little different, especially from the from the like the eighties and nineties Halloween sequels. There is a real sense that there is a man uh, underneath this, whereas like even in zombies, it's like there was kind of a man beast underneath the underneath the mask this like really does feel like an old man you get a, a little more of i'd say the normal of a, a glimpse of his of his face uh, at various points in the film i don't think that's a spoiler that seems to happen just about every other movie but like he does feel more human the quality of kills i mean we, we touched on this a bit there this is a, a very like bloody entry uh the effects are great i was Noticing the second time that there is a disproportionate amount of people being impaled through the neck. <laughs> I think at least three victims, maybe four, uh, die through being impaled in the neck. Two of them require being like broken through a window or and or a stair banister and then like pierced through the neck with the with the frame. <laughs> so like someone really like has a has a fetish for this particular type of kill. Um, but like he, he's he's constantly going for the neck in it. I'll, I'll let you guys chew on that. I may I may come back to some of these other topics. But as far as Michael and his and his methods, that's my take. I really liked the look of this film. I thought it was very well shot. There were a lot. I mean, this is what you get with with David Gordon Green. Like there are a lot of shots. You know, places where you catch Michael's reflection in the mirror. Uh, or in the glass and 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 I mean the image of him emerging from the the fire with the fire hose the water sort of raining down and stuff I mean it's there's some very artfully composed shots that I really enjoyed and and really appreciated I was less enamored with there's something very self-conscious about when Michael's exposed that they that they're going to keep his sort of face out of the frame and stuff so there's some of that. I mean, that's the danger that you run into is that it, you start to become aware of the camera and the things that it's not showing you. Uh, I mean, this was, you know, that was a little bit of my, my complaint about Zemeckis's work and uh, what lies beneath, for instance, that I, if I'm thinking about the camera and how you've clearly positioned it in just such a way so that I'm seeing something or not seeing something that can sort of work the other way. But generally I would say it's, it's just really well composed. I agree. I like this incarnation of Michael. Uh, I, uh, the, the physicality of it, there are a few touches and I won't, I won't get into the specifics. There are a few touches that I feel like expand on his character a little bit. Okay. Always one of the things that makes the first one so fantastic is that they give you just those little moments of the, you know, again, the cocked head and some of that stuff that, that, where you get through his his actions because he's silent, you get some picture of what is actually going on in Michael's head. Uh, and if you if you do that just right, it can be really terrifying. They don't make it really terrifying, but they do keep it oblique enough that I found it interesting, and I felt like it actually fleshed him out as a character a little more. And I like that. There's a lot of things that are good in it. There's a lot of things that aren't good, but yeah, I, those are the, those are the ones that jumped out at me. They did have a cocked head moment. I'm forgetting her name now, the 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 little girl from the first movie, Lindsay. Lindsay, mm-hmm. yeah. 
I, I think it's when he goes after her. So they, they do do a cockhead moment, although it, that also is just reminded me of how the thing that counters those little moments for me is there were also some really weird kills. Like there was one in particular where the like my note was just like John Wick. Like it's like it was like a it was like a kill out of a John Wick movie. Like it felt totally out of place and out of character to me, even with like the, the character that they had written into this film. Again, I've done like two and a half minutes of finding out what other people think of this movie, but one of them was a review just lambasting that kill. I, I saw Vic, because we we have cameras on here, I saw him react like at the memory of the kill in a way that tells me, I think you liked it, Vic, and honestly, so did I. I can see the issue, and you know, Rich, when you invoke John Wick, that I do believe that that is an unfortunate influence on this movie. It crossed my mind with the firefighters sequence, and I'll leave it at that for now. But I got a John Wick vibe from Michael Myers in this movie, and I don't think that's a good thing. So I'm I'm philosophically with you, but just the differentness of that, the unexpected shock value of what the scene you're talking about and the humor, it worked for me, especially because there's sort of a, a setup with the character involved. And I, I thought that, that that was one of the quirkier kills and, and thus one of the more memorable ones. Yeah. We'll discuss that a bit more in detail later. But I, I want to say that I, too, liked this Michael quite a bit. Uh, I want to say I liked that they gave him a haircut of sorts in this because <laughs> <laughs> apparently the fire singed off a lot of the hair on his mask. So he had like a, a, a tighter cut, which you guys can see. I have a tighter cut right now. kind of like that. He just looked cooler, a little more sleek. That way, and I liked, of course, the burning of the mask didn't do yeah. him any disservices in terms of looking scary, like the charring of the side of the mask. As for the head tilts, though, I think he does a couple, maybe even three in this movie. And after having done that a couple of times in 2018, and at this point, I am so over the head tilt. I, I, I find it just fan service. It just drives me nuts. It it never it doesn't feel organic any for me. It doesn't feel organic anytime he cocks his head. It just feels tacked on. So I actually it takes me out of the movie every time he does that. And I think he does that minimum of two times, possibly three times in this movie. It, it no longer works for me. It's become a, a tick, a caricature of itself. Don't like it. There was one moment where I felt like he did something I'd never seen him do before. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I want to kind of figure out what he's doing there. And uh, it's it's in a scene that involves, just so we all remember it, there's a, a drone involved and a kitchen and a fluorescent light bulb. So I, I think there's something he does with some knives in that sequence that I was like, what the fuck is he doing? And I thought, I, I found it really interesting. There are some things that James Jude Courtney does in his performance. And apparently, as Vic comically said in our, our, our first podcast, Nick Castle is the shape at some point in this movie. I don't know where, but there's at least a few shots where Nick Castle uh, is playing Michael Myers. But mostly it's James Jude Courtney's performance. Uh, I generally like his physicality. I do agree, Rich, like he's very... He's not messing around at all. In this movie, he seems very purposeful. He knows what he's doing. He has no hesitation. Maybe he's a little too Terminator or John Wick for me at some points. I would have liked a creepier approach. He kind of is a juggernaut that just comes into your house and you know slaughters everybody or wherever you are. But I, I like his... The brutality, the way that he approaches kills, yeah, like there's a couple moments where he like chooses his weapon and he kind of figures out what he's going to do and there's subtleties that I really, really like. So again, I think we gave him props in the last movie, uh, the actor and you know everything that, that conspires, the writing, the directing, editing, everything that, that puts Michael, you know, makes Michael who he is as a cinematic figure. Uh, I think they, once again, this is in the top tier of, uh, of Michael Myers depictions. I mean, guys, you remember the shoulder pads and the, you know, the sort of awkward and clumsy stumbling, 
Michael Myers that we've seen here and there in, in this franchise. I think he's absolutely top tier. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I did want to touch on one thing that John brought up. Uh, this movie does not shy away from fan service. There are several moments where there are shameless callbacks to previous films and things that are just there for people to be like, hey, I know what that is. Easter eggs um, type stuff. I don't feel like any of them really worked for me. There, there, there may have been, I'll, I'll look back through my notes. I feel like there was like one that, that maybe like kind of clicked, but for the most part, they all, they all kind of felt like groaners to me. I agree. And that's part of the, the, what we've talked about, the star Wars sort of vibe is that that's what it felt like. It's, Hey, you remember this? Hey, you remember this? That's not what I come to a Halloween movie for. For example, were we all clamoring to see the little kid who trips Tommy Doyle at the beginning of the original movie be a character in this film after he's not been revisited in any other sequel? <laughs> I didn't realize that's who it was. Well, yeah. That's Lonnie, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like I've done that, so I missed it. There you go. That's how I, that's... It's obscure. I mean, yeah, there's a throwaway line about him him tripping him that morning or something. And so if you remember the first movie where he crashes to the sidewalk with the with the pumpkin in, in his arms, that, yeah, that kid's name was Lonnie. It, it's pretty ridiculous. It doesn't add anything, right? It, yeah. But but they, they needed another character from the past, so they brought him in. Is that fan service debatable but probably and i think the use of the nurse marion is one of the more failed aspects of tying continuity and let's let's touch on that briefly because it's relevant to what rich just said before you know we get into and we won't get into super specifics of what goes on with the character it didn't do the actress or the character any favors and do you guys agree with me on that yeah, a hundred percent, and especially juxtaposed with the actress who played Lindsay, who I thought gave a, a very credible performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, reality TV superstar. I wanted to say Denise Richards, but that's not her name. <laughs> Something Richards. Kyle Richards. Kyle Richards, who um, was, of course, Lindsay in the 1978 original, and then she's best known for Real Housewives. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she so she does act. <laughs> yes, she acts. <laughs> With a good story editor, she'll act her ass off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. The, I thought that the nurse was largely extraneous in the source, uh, uh, whether directly or or peripherally, of my my biggest groans. Though I did think of the one that worked for me is I actually did enjoy the Halloween three uh, Easter egg. Uh, yeah. True. yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I, I did enjoy that as well. Is this movie better than the last one? We've kind of touched on it. I haven't revisited it, but yeah, my gut instinct is yes. They jettisoned a lot of the things that didn't work, at least tried to make Michael... They want to explain how Michael could be around after taking all of this punishment, movie after movie. And intentionally or not, yes, they kneecapped a lot of what the first movie was trying to do. It doesn't necessarily help this movie, but it diminishes the impact of the last one in retrospect. So in a Darwinian way, the Michael wins narrative here, however temporary it will surely be pretty sure the third movie won't end with Michael skull fucking Lori, her corpse. <laughs> I think it's going to work out for the good guys. Oh, nice. Good. Thank you for clarifying our corpse. We wouldn't want her to still be alive while Michael was skull fucking. <laughs> Certainly not. Certainly not. It's all going to work out for the good guys, but uh, as I've said, I think it cancels the effect of the Me Too victory. The grounded Michael is just a dude take that the first movie went to such pains of establishing. It undermines that. It hurt that movie more than it helped itself, but at the same time, off the top of my head, I think the kills are better here. There's not that fucking fake Loomis character. There's nothing of that magnitude of suck. Yes, the endless philosophizing about Michael is up there in suckitude, but all that being said, I think my final thoughts before we get into spoilers, I want to hear what you guys say before we ring the bell and move on to the next phase. I think it does move ahead of any of the Halloween sequels that I would have had 2018 over, if that makes any sense. I just 
I think it takes the last movie's spot. It does not move up, does not pass any movies that 2018 did not pass. I don't think it would make the top three or anything like that. So obviously it's not going to make our tournament, in my opinion, because we are limiting franchise entries to three in season two of March Mad Men for reasons that we will explain elsewhere. You know, if we had a side-by-side comparison between this movie and Return of Michael Myers, which is, of course, the original uh, Halloween 4, is it possible that there could be a debate between those movies? I don't know. I can't make a definitive statement. But right now, I'm standing by having that one ahead. Well, I mean, my list of the best Halloween movies definitely starts with Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> and we really should have had Busta Rhymes in here somewhere. As you want, you want fan service? You want to, you want to get me excited about uh, <laughs> nostalgia? Put Busta Rhymes in this fucking movie. You know, you're yeah. not lying. If somehow they had, had done a tip of the cap to Busta Rhymes in this movie, it would have played with me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Dude, people hate Halloween Resurrection, and I don't get it. Like, I really feel like I had a lot of fun with that. I'd, I'd actually say that, that a Busta Rhymes type character would not be out of place to be like some rando in like every time this movie like goes through a, scene, a set of kills. It's like then they introduce two new like idiosyncratic weirdos hanging out in a house. <laughs> right. And like it's like Busta Rhymes practicing his kung fu would just like not be <laughs> even remotely out of place. <laughs> In this universe, <laughs> married to Katie Sackoff. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Dude, oh, you're is, so right. The structural format of this show <laughs> is of this movie is two idiosyncratic. This show is three idiosyncratic. <laughs> the movie is structured around two idiosyncratic weirdos about to be killed by Michael Myers. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. okay that concludes our spoiler free discussion of halloween kills tune in next time for part two and a deeper dive into the specific highs and lows of the film if you enjoy our presence in your life we really would appreciate it if you'd head on over to itunes or wherever you post your podcast reviews and please give us a good one we really need to grow the show thank you in advance and for now adios adios